0: So you come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, again we come uh, great humility because we realize that while we think ourselves smart and wise and able, that as we come to the scripture that we know our weakness That it's only by the help, the work of your Holy Spirit to us and within us who can overcome our resistance to hearing and believing the Word that we can actually hear and believe. And so we pray now that by your Spirit we would indeed listen. and That the Word would come to us not simply in Word but in power and in the Holy Spirit. That this word may have its full impact, its full effect upon us. We may believe, that we may follow you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to First Thessalonians and chapter two. First Thessalonians and chapter two. I want to read just verses thirteen uh, through sixteen. One Thessalonians, please. And chapter 2. <clears throat> Hear the Word of God. And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. You, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath of God has come upon them. At last. Now. Paul is kind of in his mid sharing. About his praying for them notice and he says and we also thank god constantly for this so he's been sharing with them about how he prays for them how he thanks god for them it's no surprise to us because he says he prays for them every time he prays essentially he says i pray for you constantly meaning every time i pray i think of you every time i pray i pray for you and he began this letter by saying he's he gives thanks to god for them and, and what he's thanking god for as it relates to this church in thessalonica is he's thanking God for their faith that has expressed itself in obedience, for their love, which has expressed itself in serving one another, and for the hope that they have, which has expressed itself in their steadfastness, their perseverance, that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of opposition, uh, they're standing firm because they have this hope. So he's thankful, Paul's thankful, that, uh, that, 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 that they're believers, that they love, He's thankful that they are really secure in their hope in Jesus. Now, uh, Paul gives thanks to God for their faith, love, and hope. He doesn't congratulate them. He doesn't say, way to go for believing. so proud of you. Uh, What a good move on your part. But but he gives thanks to God, not to them. And the reason he gives thanks to God for their faith and their love and their hope is is because he realizes that their faith and love and hope is an expression and outworking of the fact that God has worked in them. He says, first of all, the reason you do all this is because God has loved you and actually chosen you. And he said, I know that that's true because the word of God came to you. Particularly, it came to you. And not only just the words, the Word, but, 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 but it came to you in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, full effect. And so Paul says, I brought it, yes, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was convinced, but in, in, in the midst of that, God worked in such a way, empowered by the Holy Spirit in you to work it in you. And so that's the real source of it. So that's why I'm giving thanks to God. I'm saying, God, thank you so much that you worked in the lives of these people, that this word came in power and in the Holy Spirit and brought its full effect, that they could believe, that they could love, that they could have this this hope. And Paul says, I know that all that's true, that he's he's, he's loved you and chosen you because this word has, in fact, come to you, and it's coming to you. you. You received it with joy. Even in the midst of persecution. You, you received it with joy. Even in the midst of opposition that was against you. And, and in fact, your witness has echoed everywhere. It's sounded forth everywhere. It's gone out everywhere. And what people know about you. And then this is this short little colic, This little pithy expression that Paul uses of them. And should be true of us as well. That they turned to God from idols. To serve the true and living God. Even as they wait for the son. This our Lord Jesus. Who was raised from the dead. They wait for him to come from heaven. Because he's the very one. Who will deliver us. And delivers us from the wrath to come. And so he says I'm so grateful. Because you see if God hadn't done that work in you. You would not have believed. And if you wouldn't have believed. Then none of this would be true. And you wouldn't have been. One who could say. I'm delivered from the wrath that is to come, so Paul gives thanks to God for all of that. Now he comes the middle of verse middle of chapter two, and he says, Oh yeah, and there 's something else i 'm thankful for he 's going kind to of develop all this. He says, I, I come also uh, uh, to thank God constantly for this, and here 's what he 's thankful for here 's what he he emphasizes here. He says that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men but as what it is re- what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. He says, what, I'm, what, I, what I want to pause and just tell you what I'm so thankful to God for is when this word of God came to you, it is the word of God. It is objectively the word of God. Whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it, it's still the word of God. It doesn't become the word of God when you believe it. It's really the word of God. He said, when the word of God came to you, you did not receive it or hear it just as the word of men, but you accepted it as what it really is, the word of God. You received that it is, it came to you. You heard it. But then he uses another word. He says, however, you accepted it. You bought in. You embraced it. You said, yes, this is the word of God. I accept that as the word of God. Now it was anyway they had rejected it, it still would have been the word of God. They don't have the final say on this thing. But he says, this, what I'm grateful for is that you accepted this word, the word of men, as not the word of men, but the word of God. So the question is, how did they know that it really was the word of God that Paul was bringing to them? In fact, how did Paul know that he was bringing them the word of God? And how did he know that they received it and accepted it? And how did they really know it was the word of God that they too would accept it? And that's important for us, isn't it? To kind of think that through. How How do we know? How do we really know that this is the word of God? The word that Paul was speaking to them about was the word that he had brought them, for instance, and he when he comes to Thessalonica, here's the report that Luke gives us of Paul in Acts 17. It says, they came to Thessalonica, middle verse 1, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. All right? Now, we, that's just a little, it took him a long time to develop that, I'm sure, as he taught for these three successive Sabbaths. Uh, and, and, and we don't know what he said exactly, but he, he, he proved to them from the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, that this Jesus, was the one the Old Testament Scripture has spoken of as the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Now, he could have, of course, started in Genesis 3.15. and said, this is the one who was told would come from the seed of the woman that crushed the head of the serpent. He could have carried that all the way through. And he could have gone to Abraham. And he said, this is the one that was promised the seed of Abraham would come and bless all the nations of the earth. He could carry that all the way through. He could go to the, 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 the shadows and the types. He can he speak of the priests, and he could say, this is the priest. He could look at the sacrifices and say, this is the sacrifice, this Jesus. He could look at the temple, and he says, this is the very presence of God with us in the very place in whom we worship God. We come and belong and are accepted, forgiven by him in this temple, Jesus. He could have gone to King David and the kings, and he could say, this is the one who rules the very kingdom of God could have gone to the prophets. And he said, these prophets are the ones who warn us and teach us of the covenant of God and the truth of God. This Jesus is the very prophet of God who comes and warns us as well. He is the prophet. He brings to us the truth as the prophets brought the truth. This this Jesus is the one these prophets spoke of. I can't imagine he didn't go to Isaiah chapter 53 and speak of this one. Jesus, that suffering servant upon whom the iniquity of us all would be laid Would be risen and who would have great spoil from that. But that, he said, was the very Word of God. How he describes that in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, verse 4, is he says, This is the gospel. When Paul was speaking of the gospel, it was the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't something that he had invented or anybody else had invented. This was true because it came from God. This good news, this declaration was indeed the word of God. And this declaration was that the kingdom of God had come in Jesus, meaning that the rule of God had come and conquered sin and death. And that this rule of God was a rule of mercy and grace. And it was a rule of forgiveness and a rule of compassion. And even a rule of justice served upon Jesus that God might be merciful and forgiving. That was it, you see. The very gospel, this word of God. Paul would describe what the apostles would teach and preach, calling it God-breathed. That it came from the very breath, the very Voice, the very heart. It came from came from God. And Peter would say there's no prophecy that comes that comes from the will of man, but it it comes from God through men who are carried along by his spirit, moved along by his spirit, you see. And he said this is the, the very word of God. It would be reliable, truthful, dependable, infallible inerrant the very word of God fallible men speaking infallibly the things of God because of God that's how Paul understood all of this this very word of God he says in chapter 2 verse 13 that it's not the word of of men it's really the word of God men spoke about but it wasn't really that and it didn't originate with Paul in fact when Paul would write about this word he would write like this first Corinthians and chapter 2 and verse 6 he writes yet among the mature we do impart wisdom Though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Paul is saying it doesn't, it doesn't originate with us and our wisdom or even the wisdom of our rulers, the wisest ones among us. It, it doesn't originate there. None of us would have ever thought this up. We're, we're simply doomed to pass away. In fact, Thomas Watson, keep your finger there. Thomas Watson, 1692, uh, wrote about the scripture. He says, how could could we read this and think it originated with us? It came from our wisdom, our way. Just read you. You probably don't read Thomas Watson every day. But he asked the question, he says, how does it appear that the scripture, the scriptures have... A divine authority stamped upon them, this word of the apostles, this word of God. He says, because the Old and New Testaments are the foundation of all religion, if their divinity cannot be proved, the foundation upon which we build our faith is gone. So he says, I shall therefore endeavor to prove that this great truth, that the scriptures are the very word of God. I wonder whence the scriptures should come, if not from God. Bad men could not be the authors of it. Would their minds be employed, employed uh, in using such holy lines? Would they declare so fiercely against sin? A good men could not be the authors of it. Could they write in such a strain or stand, or, or could it stand with their grace to counterfeit God's name and put thus says the Lord to a book of their own devising? So no, good men couldn't have written it. In fact, he writes this. He says, The scripture appeared to be the word of God by the matters contained in it. The mystery of the scripture is so profound that no man or angel could have known it had it not been divinely revealed. That eternity should be born, that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle, that he who rules the stars should suck the breasts, that the prince of life should die, that the lord of glory should be put to shame. That sin should be punished to the full, yet pardoned to the full? Who could ever have conceived of such a mystery had not the scripture revealed it to us? So for the doctrine of the resurrection, that the same body which is crumbled into a thousand pieces should rise the same individual body. Else it would be a creation, not a resurrection. How could such a sacred riddle above all human question be known had not the scripture made a discovery of it? The matter of Scripture is so full of goodness, justice, and sanctity that it could be breathed from none but God, so the holiness of it shows it to be of God. Scripture is compared to silver refined seven times. The book of God has no errata in it. It's a beam of the sun of righteousness, a crystal stream flowing from the fountain of life. All laws and edicts of men have their corruptions, but the word of God has not the least tincture. In its meridian splendor, thy word is pure. It's so pure that it purifies everything else. The scripture presses holiness as no other book ever did. It it bids us live soberly and righteously and, and godly. Out of this tower of scripture is thrown a millstone upon the head of sin. The scripture is the royal law which commands not only actions but affections. It it binds the heart to good behavior where it's such holiness to be found. Who could be the author of such a book but God himself? And finally this he says. The impartiality of those men who wrote the scriptures who did not, they did not spare their own failings. What man writes a history by recording those things of himself that so stain his reputation? Moses records his own impatience when he struck the rock and tells us he could not on that account enter the land of promise. David relates his own adultery and bloodshed, which stands as a blot in his reputation to succeeding ages. Peter relates his own cowardliness in denying Christ. Jonas sets down his own passions. I do well to be angry with death, he says. Should had their pen not been guided by God's own hand, they would have never written that which reflects dishonor upon themselves. Men usually hide their blemishes rather than publish them to the world, but the penmen of the Holy Scripture eclipse their own name. They take all glory away from themselves and they give the glory to God. Paul says, It's not the wisdom of this age. But rather, he says, verse 7 we impart a secret wisdom, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This hidden wisdom isn't a wisdom that we could otherwise know, but God hides from us to make us feel stupid. It's of God that no human can know because it's of God and he reveals it to us amazingly, graciously and he reveals it to us by his spirit because because we can't know it in all of its depth as we ought he says for the spirit searches everything even the depths of God of course the spirit knows God the spirit is God so the spirit knows God For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, the ages, the wisdom of the ages, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And in the words, he says, the Holy Spirit has brought this word to us. That's exactly what Jesus had said would happen. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he'll come and he'll teach you all things about me. And so he says, that's happened. And now we have the spirit to know these things. Spiritual truths. To those who are spiritual, that is, that have the Holy Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this natural person, Paul refers to, is a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit and thus cannot understand and know and believe the things of God. Now, why is that the case? Well, that's the case because we're told in the Scripture that we, naturally speaking, without the Holy Spirit, suppress God's truth in unrighteousness, Romans 118. We actually do that. That's who we are without a work of God in us. And so we hear the things of God and will not believe because these things are spiritually discerned, understood, received, accepted. Romans chapter 8 says that the sinful mind, the natural mind, is hostile towards God. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please God. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he he puts it uh, like this, chapter 4, verse 17. He says, now I, I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That is, those Gentiles who aren't believers. In the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous, have given up themselves to sensuality, greedy, um, to practice every kind of impurity. He says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. In other words, when the Spirit of God came upon you, you learned Christ. And thus your hardness of heart was overcome. He says, that's the very point of it, you see. And so as Paul lays this out to the church in Corinth, very honestly to them. He says the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit for their folly to him, and he's he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, that is, can evaluate these things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That is, to instruct the Lord. But we have the mind of Christ. And when the Scripture says that we have the mind of Christ, it doesn't mean that we're as smart as Jesus. I remember years ago, there was one... TV preacher from Tulsa. We does not have a university named after him. Um, who said that he had a motorcycle that needed repairing and he didn't know how to do it so he figured he had the mind of Christ. So God gave him, the, so he just fixed it. But I don't think there's a, something in the Bible says Jesus and the art of motorcycle repair. Uh, that, that's not the point. The mind of Christ is to know who he is. The mind of Christ is to know who we are. So to say I have the mind of Christ means I know that Jesus is the Son of God and I know that I'm a sinner. To have the mind of Christ knows that Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of sinners. To have the mind of Christ knows that that I'm a sinner in need of the one who died. To have the mind of Christ knows that this salvation is offered to sinners like me. To have the mind of Christ and say, yes, I receive. That's the mind of Christ, you see. Thus, that leads me to humility. That leads me to dependence. That leads me to repentance. That leads me to rely upon him and to follow out. You see, that's the mind of Christ. And Paul says for that to occur, you need the word of God. But to be able to accept the word of God as it is really the word of God, you need the spirit of God to open up your heart, really, that you would believe. Now, you say, why does not God open the hearts by his spirit of everyone? I don't know this is going to surprise you. I'm not God. <laughs> all right, so it's not so surprising after all. I do know that God is good. I do know that God loves. I do know that God is powerful. So I do know that if He doesn't, he's still good and wise and loving. And powerful. And what quiets my soul, my mind, and my mouth is some consideration of the profundity of the metaphor in Scripture about the potter and the clay. That he is the potter and I'm the clay, we're the clay. And there's something there that says rest in who God is. But, but how is it then that Paul knew that they knew that this really was the word of God? And, and how, how did all that come about? Well, well, Paul knew it was the word of God because he knew that, that, that it didn't come from him. He knew that he had received it, as he put it. He knew that he was a, a steward of it. He, he knew that it had come to him. He said, and when he speaks of, of, of this, as and, and, and he writes to the church in, in, in Galatia, he, he puts it like this. He said, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it always comes. You remember even with, with, with Peter on that day that Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus said, well, I'll have you know, Peter, that you're not smarter than the other 11 guys. Nor are you more righteous than the other 11 guys that are here. But it was my Father in heaven who revealed that to you. The mystery of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. in The lives of people. They came to know, we know, Paul came to know. You know, it didn't originate with him when he first heard it. He hated it. He killed people who believed it. Had to be something that happened in his life to overcome that hatred of it, hostility to it. He said it didn't come originate with us, with me, with any men, but it came, we know it, from, from God, from the Holy Spirit. When Paul came to the church in Thessalonica, he came with this gospel that's all he had that's what he said about the church in Corinth I come with this gospel that Christ crucified that's all I know I don't want you to think that that I tricked you into this I don't think you to, to think that it was it was my personality that, that 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 brought you into this none of that he says and when he comes to Thessalonica no flattery no gain for me this isn't mine I can't sell it this is not mine I can't market it all I can do is tell you this and I didn't, I didn't even throw my weight around. I didn't even come as this apostle that says you have to do this or this or this. I came to you like a parent. I came to you like a mother, gentle. I gave myself to you. I, I came like a father with your own best interest in mind, telling you the truth about life. I, I, I didn't come to, 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 to push my weight around even, to force you into anything. It's the power of this gospel. Don't you understand? This word came to you and you believed. I'm thankful to God for that. You should be too. And you should give Thanks. Do you know that this is the word of God because what's happened is that this word came to you not just in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit and look at the effect that it's had on you. You're convinced. That's the truth of it, you see. You know, words have great power. Our words have power. The word of a parent, the word of a coach, the word of a teacher, the word of a friend has power. The the Proverbs say that our words can be the fountain of life or can be like the thrust of a sword. So imagine the word of God. Imagine the power of the word of God, the word of God that creates, the, the word of God that raised Lazarus from the dead. That powerful word of God. And this is, it came to you. you. You believed this word of God. The psalmist says, brings life. It restores the soul. It makes us wise. As Paul writes to Timothy, he said, this word made you wise unto salvation. It makes us wise, you see. This very word. Restores our souls. This very word is truth. This very word renews our minds. This very word brings life. The Word of God in power, in the Holy Spirit, is real life. To us now, now Paul knows that this word came to them, and they believed it, and he knows that first because it brought faith and love and hope. but, but now he also says, "I know this too, because when you believed it, everybody who didn 't believe it turned against you. he says that 's been happening from the very beginning." Now Paul knew that it was happening from the very beginning because he was on both sides of that. He knew that in the churches of Judea, the reason that that there was persecution against them is because he brought it. He was in charge of it. And then when he was converted, it came to him as well. And he says, you know what happened? I came to Thessalonica and there were Jews who, who, who were against this from the synagogue who turned against us. But then they turned your own countrymen against us. And he says, that's always been happening. The very ones who should believe are the ones who killed Jesus. The very ones who should believe are the ones who killed the prophets. The very ones who should believe are are the ones who've turned against us and driven us out. And they're they're opposed to the whole world because they're trying to keep this gospel out. These very ones, these Jews to whom God had first come. And he said, well, the wrath of God has come upon them. We don't know what Paul means by that other than maybe it was something that had happened then in the Jewish community. There was all kinds of stuff In the late 40s, early 50s, that was happening uh, uh, to to Jews and famines and so forth and so on. We don't know if he's being prophetic and looking to the wrath that is to come. Whatever it is, he says, don't worry about that. God is just. Now, just as an aside, of course, there's nothing here in Paul that's anti-Semitic nor anything for us to be so either. Uh, Paul loved his countrymen. He always went to the synagogue first. Romans 9, he says that he would... If he could, he would give his life that his countrymen would be saved. In Romans 10, he says that he prays all the time for Israelites to be saved. So that's his heart. His point is that anyone who is against Christ, opposes Jesus, opposes the word, and the wrath of God will come upon them. So the question really, isn't it? for us when I receive this gospel this word do I accept it as what it really is the word of God or not if you do you see and you can rest assured that it was because of a work of the Spirit of God. Humbling, isn't it? Humbling, isn't it? No matter what our background has been in the church or not, no matter how smart we are, intelligent we are, no matter the arguments that have been given to us, pro or con, to realize that it really is God, who enables. And thus we give thanks to him. If we believe, if you believe, you say, yes, this gospel is the word of God. I receive, I believe, I know it, and I, thus, am forgiven my sins, Say, then give thanks to God. But you say, well, I doubt. What about that? There are times when I really doubt this. And I always think, well, doubt hmm. Doubt means I, I want to believe it. Doubt means I think it should be true. and it, it is true, but I, right now I'm just struggling with, with, with knowing that, with, with really believing that. And that's, of course, when we turn our dependence upon God and we say, God, help me believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that this is the word of God. This gospel really is true. Help me now. And God in his grace says, I will help you. I will give you one day in seven for you to stop and gaze upon me. Do that. Listen to this word. Pray that my spirit will come and help you. And then he displays it before us. Listen. And the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And the same way he took the cup. And again after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me for as often the apostle adds as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup we declare the Lord's death until he comes. Do you believe that? Jesus is the Christ. And Do you believe that His body was given. His blood was shed. Do you believe? That was so that sinners like you and me could be forgiven and live. Do you believe that? Doesn't that that resonate with your whole life? That's what I need. I need to be reconciled to God. I I need that. doesn't explain everything. In terms of the misery of life and the misery of the world. The word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us. And by your spirit, you would come in power with these words. And Father, that this power would come by the Holy Spirit and bring full conviction, full assurance. Have full effect in us. We'd believe and obey, that we would love and serve, that we would have hope and remain steadfast. Father, even as we believe, if opposition comes to us, we'd continue to believe and have joy. And Father, our witness would echo forth from this place all around. People would say, Yes. They've been with Jesus. They know him. It's true. So Father, I take, pray you'd take this bread, this juice, set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of Jesus and we would know this Jesus who is present with us. We would know him that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. We would know that he is the Savior of sinners. We know that he's the one who's given himself for us, that we might believe and therefore be forgiven, reconciled to God and he at work in us. I pray that your spirit would be present here among us. We would know that this gospel is not the word of men, but it is the word of God. And this I pray in Jesus' name.